Welcome to another episode of Business Processes Simplified. It's David Jennings, your host, and in a moment you're going to meet our guest, Lisa Freely. You might also hear one of the crows in the background as well, who sounds like they want to join in on the episode. Now, in this episode, Lisa is going to take you through the seven easy steps to legally protect your business, which she is the legal eagle. She's got plenty of experience. You'll find out a little bit more about her bio in a moment because this episode was recorded as part of the Business Systems Summit. So you'll hear that little intro and then you'll hear me introduce Lisa as well. But I wanted to summarize things for you right up front. The seven steps that she's going to take you to through, for me, they're more like a checklist. It's not a repeatable system that you're going to have to do over and over. Uh, Getting yourself legally protected is about crossing your T's and dotting your I's right up front to make sure that you're protected. Most people think about legal issues uh, a little bit too late once it is an issue. When it comes to structuring and protecting yourself, do this early, get it all set up, and then you can just focus on what you do best, which is looking after your business. Now, the seven steps she's going to run through are, number one, creating a disclaimer for your website. Number two, creating a client agreement. Number three, registering your business. Number four, establish website terms and conditions and a privacy policy. Step number five, create the terms of use. Step number six, create a corporate identity just to uh, protect yourselves. And then step number seven is to trademark your brand. So there's seven steps that you want to walk through. They're very easy. They're very comprehensive. And uh, the good thing about Lisa is she just makes all of the legal side of things very easy to understand. Now, the final thing I just wanted to mention, if you're enjoying these episodes, you might want to grab yourself a copy of my book, Systemology. Uh, The subtitle is Create Time, Reduce Errors, and Scale Your Profits with Proven Business Systems. I know because you're listening to this episode, you like to listen to audio. The good news is there is an audio book version of Systemology as well. So make sure you head over to systemology.com forward slash book, and you can find out more details about that and grab a copy from Audible. And with that, uh, let's go ahead and jump into this episode. Welcome to the System Hub Podcast. Hola. Konnichiwa. Guten Tag. Where we interview world-class experts. You have to have a lot of passion for what you're doing. I was fanatical in my 20s. If you could find a way to produce a business that works without you, your life would change like that. Extracting, organizing, and optimizing their best systems and processes for rapid business growth. Now, let's get into the show. Welcome back to the Business Systems Summit. I'm your host, David Jennings, and in this session, we're going to be chatting with Lisa Freely. She's the best-selling author of the book, Easy Legal Steps. Now, she got her start in the legal world as an attorney for a large healthcare firm, but has since gone on to become a legal coach that focuses on helping business owners and entrepreneurs through lots of different means. She's got online courses and DIY templates and coaching And there's a reason we got her on the summit. She's a a systems thinker. She breaks things down into easy to follow steps, which in the legal space actually makes her pretty unique. But to add to the mix, she's also a certified holistic health coach. So she's got to be the only lawyer I've ever seen who aligns her processes with chakras. She believes that law helps to protect business owners both practically and energetically as well. So it's with great pleasure that I get to welcome Lisa to the summit. Thank you so much, Dave, for having me, and thank you for that introduction. 
Oh, pleasure. Pleasure. And I know we've got a lot to cover because you're going to take us through your seven easy steps to legally protect your business. I thought maybe to start though, if you can just maybe share with us a little bit of some of the challenges that you see business owners have when it comes to protecting themselves. And then we can talk about how this system solves that and go through the process step by step. Sure. So there are a couple of things that show up all the time for business owners when it comes to the law. And the first part, of course, is that most people don't like the law. They don't love lawyers. They don't want to deal with the law. It's not something that's at the top of their list because it feels overwhelming or confusing or they're not sure what lawyer will understand the work that they do. And it's just not something that they prioritize. And unfortunately, when that happens, although it's understandable, when it happens, though, they do put themselves at risk because they don't use contracts and they don't use website documents and people will copy or swipe their work and they don't have any legal language or documents to fall back on to protect themselves and their business and their brand. So people are afraid of the law, which then leaves them open to holding themselves back, to not expanding and launching their next new product, to not growing in their business, and also to having people take their work without any way to back up to show that they didn't want someone to take it. So I encourage people to actually not be afraid. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And it's one of those things as well, when it comes to anything legal and the law and it's, it's always something that you think about usually when it's too late, something exactly. happens and then you're like, Oh, I need a lawyer or I need to get myself prepared. And it's only after the fact. So I think that's what I love about the system we're going to go through. It's more proactive. It's kind of how to protect the business owner up front and, and with some really easy steps. So take us through these steps. Absolutely. It's, I'm such in favor of being proactive and protecting yourself on the front end so that you don't have what I call legal pickles on the back end or headaches with clients. So the first step is if you have a website, which most online business owners do, even if it's a small website or a landing page or you're just getting started, what I recommend is the first legal document that you want is what I call a website disclaimer. And that's a document that basically tells people, hey, when you land on this website, I'm not giving you business advice or legal advice or accounting advice or when you land on this website, any testimonials that you see here are just examples and any affiliates are not endorsements. It tells people sort of the rules of the game to help them get grounded and, and really look at your base level of legal protection on the website. So if you have a website, your first step is to ask yourself, do I have a website disclaimer on my website? And that's the first item on your checklist. With that one, it's oftentimes someone doesn't really think about it. They leave it up to their web person. And if for whatever reason, they're one of the rare few that do, they just think about going and copying, pasting from someone else's website and, and putting it on their site. So uh, you touched a few of the, the key areas. Are there any tips on like how to craft a website disclaimer that actually protects them? Yeah. And I'm so glad you mentioned that about copying and taking other people's work because for some reason when it comes to sales pages or websites, we all get very upset if someone comes and copies your work. But actually with legal documents, believe it or not, it's the same thing. You really can't copy and shouldn't copy someone else's legal document. It is the same type of taking or copyright infringement as it would be if you were taking something from their website. So I, I do encourage everyone to have their own legal documents that they can put in place starting with that website disclaimer. And the key about the website disclaimer is it really does set forth the rules of the game about who are you and what do you do and what are you not doing so that when people show up on your website, they're clear about the role that you play. So website disclaimers can be very thorough or they can be 
fairly short, but the idea is to let people know that you're not stepping outside of your zone of expertise and you're not giving advice or information that they should expect to receive from a licensed medical professional or a licensed, another professional who, who they can rely on for actual legal or financial or advice. Yes. Yeah. That's definitely something you have uh, as part of your DIY templates as well. Uh, that's probably a good place to start. Just get some yes. legal template and then customize for your own situation. Yes. And this is a first step. This is your base layer of legal protection. It's not the be all end all, but I do align it with a root chakra because it's your base layer of legal protection. Perfect. All right. Number two. Number two. Okay. So now that you have your basic website up or your landing page and you've got that legal disclaimer language, the next thing that a lot of business owners are doing right away is starting to work one-on-one -on -one with clients. No matter what your expertise is or what your area of work is, a lot of people work one-on-one -on -one right away because it's so easy to get started, right? All you need is a, one client. So in that case, I recommend for people to use a client agreement, a written signed document signed by both of you that sets forth the boundaries and the expectations, the program description, the payment, your refund policy, what happens if you have a dispute. This is where really all of your business policies relating to that client are in one place in this legal document that you both sign. And the reason for that, of course, is so that you don't have miscommunication, but also so all those client policies are in one place so that you've created some boundaries, you've created some written policies, and that it actually creates ease for your client because they don't have to dig all over your email or all over their welcome packet to figure out what in the world is expected of them. It's already all aligned and, and spelled forth right out in that client agreement. So I align that with the sacral chakra, the second chakra, because it does support your income and your creativity and your abundance and your boundaries in terms of relationships with other people. And you're, it's good that you're going to explain the chakras as we go because you'll have to excuse my chakra knowledge. It's, it's not super high. With this particular one, it's good because I think you could embed it straight into the client onboarding process. And a lot of people really yes. struggle with, I, I think one of the biggest problems business owners have oftentimes is that passing from the salesperson through to the operations team yes. and setting the right expectations. So everybody's on the same page. I think you can dramatically reduce confusion and reduce the number of questions for a client if they have an expectation on what's going to happen. And that, that document would very easily form part of that and also protect you legally as well. Because then it's, it's almost like, like a system or a process in a business for your staff. When we have systems and processes in place, if mm -hmm. an issue arises, we can go back to the system and we look to the system first. And if it's outlined in the system, okay, well, we just got to get back on track with the system. If, it's, if something pops up and, and it wasn't in the system, then we look to tweak or improve that document. And same here for the client document, you, you touched on quite a few of the key points, but then as you get rolling, if little things bubble up, you can just use that as an opportunity to add it in and then saves you a little bit further down the track. That's right. With the next client, you can always add items to your client agreement and use it with your next client. You can't retroactively apply them to prior clients. But the good thing that you, that you were alluding to there, Dave, is that when you have that client agreement, you're actually making your life easier because you are spelling out all those policies in one place and the client only has to look in one place. The wonderful thing about a client agreement as well is that if there is a conflict or a dispute or 
you know, someone wants a refund and they, they don't know what your refund policy is, it always goes back to what's written in that client agreement. That is the document that really governs your relationship, as we say in the law. It really is the starting point. So if you've had email communication or you decided to add some things to your services or you, if it's not in the contract, often it's not part of the agreement. So you want to make sure that all of those details about your communication with your clients are in that client agreement and that you both sign it and you both receive a copy and retain a copy for your records so that you can prove and show that you're both on the same page. The goal of client agreements, we think of them as being adversarial and negotiated, but really the goal is to have a meeting of the minds and to have communication that's clear and to really help people feel comforted and assured as they're starting out that everyone's on the same page. Yeah, perfect. All right, now we move to step number three. Step number three, and while we're talking about the chakras, in case you aren't familiar with them as I sort of jumped into them, they are energy centers of the body that are associated with sort of Eastern philosophies, where it's believed that there's an energy center of the body, there are seven main chakras, and that they are associated with certain aspects of one's personality or aspects, principles that are connected to them. So the third is the solar plexus chakra, which is right around the navel region, the belly button region. And that is, we think of as our gut in a lot of ways. And we think of as the, we all stand taller when we stretch this part of our body out. And the reason why that's related to step three, which is a sole proprietor business registration and taxes, is because when you are a solo business owner, especially if you're starting out, you don't have a sophisticated business entity yet or even a simple business entity yet, you're just you hanging out your shingle, working with your clients. You really do stand taller once you get clear on how you register your business in your local state or your province or your town sometimes in your city, where you're located to inform them and tell them that you have a business and to comply with all of your local policies that are required of you as a business owner in terms of paying taxes or filing paperwork or letting them know that you exist for government registration purposes. So this part does help make you feel more official. It's legally required many places, but it also does have the benefit of helping you feel like a more responsible business owner because you're really showing up in that energy and you're showing up by saying, hey, I do have a business. It may be small. I may be getting started. I haven't grown and expanded that much. Or you might be a larger business. You still need to register your business locally so that people know who you are and you're putting your stake in the ground. And the flip side of that, of course, is it varies where you live. But of course, we all pay taxes, some more than others, but we all pay taxes. And well, a lot of people don't enjoy this part of being a business owner. And of course, I always recommend that you work with an accountant to help you figure out your taxes. It is an important part of being a corporate citizen is that we do have a responsibility as a business to make sure we're following those tax laws because the last thing you want is to be accused of tax evasion or doing something wrong. So this is how you just show up more responsibly and have a lot of confidence and self-esteem as a business owner by registering your business properly and also getting clear on, on your taxes paperwork. And I think uh, clients as well, they, they pick up on that as well. If you're a registered company, you know, here in Australia, we have a thing when you're registered, you get an ACN, Australian company number. And sometimes, you know, people will send through an invoice and if they haven't got that ACN, it kind of shows that, you know, hey, this is more of a, a hobby type thing. Right. So, you, yeah, really want to get all of those things checked off. And then same with particularly the accounting side of things. And you mentioned with the bookkeeper or an accountant, I think that ends up being 
the aim of the game really is for the business owner, particularly as they're getting started out with a small team around them, get all of those key areas covered so they can focus on the thing that they do really, really well and they don't need to be looking over their shoulder thinking, you know, oh, have I correctly, you know, set myself up legally or, you know, have I got myself covered for accounting and I know some people if they don't properly prepare for their taxes, it ends up becoming a, a big surprise for them. But if you that's right for all of that sort of stuff, it means that you can play full out as a business owner without necessarily, you know, worrying that something's going to crop up and, and get you. Exactly. And the more that you are proactive that way, like you said, Dave, the more you free your energy to really do the work that you're here to do and to share your expertise and your talents and your gifts with your clients, with the services and products that you offer so that you can help people and not have that excess energy running in the background of like, am I doing it right? Is this Mm -hmm. correct? Is something going to happen to me? Is someone going to come after me? What will happen? You already are removing that layer of worry so that you are freer to use your energy in a more productive way. Way. Perfect. All right. I think we're not even halfway yet and I feel like we're starting to get more protected. So what's step number four? So step number four is back to your website. So by now, people, once you've gotten your, what, your beginner website going, your first few pages and you've worked one-on-one with clients and now you have income, so you've registered your business and paid your taxes and gotten clear on that. The next step is now people are really expanding their presence online. They have social media accounts, their website is expanding, they're maybe adding lots of blog posts, articles, quizzes, educational information, videos, audios, all kinds of things to start reaching out more aggressively to market your services. And one of the best ways to do that is with your website. So step number four, there's actually two documents connected here. The first is the website terms and conditions, which is a much longer, bigger document than just that website disclaimer we talked about at step one. And I align these two documents with the heart chakra because you are protecting the heart and soul of your brand, which is illustrated through your website. This is your content, your material, your logo, your tagline, your business name, your branding, your colors, your font, your words, your images, all of that on your website is your intellectual property. And so when you don't have website terms and conditions on your website, you don't have any language that says, hey, website visitor, this is my intellectual property. You're welcome to come to my website and enjoy it, but you cannot copy and take and steal and use it on your website or in your programs or products. These are the rules of the game of how you use my website. And that is as important to put in place legally as it is energetically to put in place because you show up differently when you have legal protections. It sounds kind of funny to say that, but I've had client after client after client say, Lisa, when I put that website terms and conditions up on my website, even though it's not that sophisticated of a legal document, it's so important because you're declaring and claiming that that content on the website as yours. You're standing behind it with a legal document so that if someone does come and take it or copy it, you have the language that says you can't take it. And the way that the law works in most countries, and I know we're reaching people all over the world through your summit, but the way it works in most countries is that it's the responsibility falls on the shoulders of the business owner to actually have the rules. It's not presumed that that website information is yours just because you created it. You actually have to tell people how they can and can't use your language. So that's a really important part for protecting sort of the heart of your brand. And the sister document to that is the privacy policy. The sister document says to people, hey, if you land on my website, 
and you join my opt-in list or you grab my downloadable freebie or my free report or you want to join my tribe and receive regular e-newsletter updates, you agree to the privacy policy. And there are rules, certainly in Australia and in the European Union and the UK and in Canada, they're even stronger than the United States rules that really protect the confidentiality of people's information when they show up on your website and share even their email address with you. So it's your, your obligation legally, but also you want to build that trust with your website visitor to let them know that you're going to use their information safely, that you're going to keep it safe, you're not going to just sell it to anyone without their information, and that you will follow the laws that are required around privacy um, to respect their content. So one document protects your content, that's the website terms and conditions, and one document protects their the website visitor's content, and that's the privacy policy. Uh, that's a good distinction between the two. I, I like the way that helps to clarify, because oftentimes you see the mishmash together. Um, yes. And I think, yeah, that that's probably comes from an understanding of, of or lack of understanding of who those documents are written for. Um, yeah, in some countries, they actually cannot be mishmashed together. Like, I, I certainly sharing all of this information with you as legal information and not legal advice. But for example, like in Australia, you do have to keep them separate. They can't be in the same document. Other countries, they can be in the same document. But at the same time, it's important that as a business owner that you distinguish and understand that one is protecting you and one is designed to protect the other. And anytime that I think you take these steps, you're creating that energetic boundary as well as the legal boundary to to really stand as a leader in your business and help people understand how they can use your content and how you'll respect their content cleaner lines cleaner boundaries always lead to greater success and fewer legal problems too by the way <laughs> i was gonna ask and and uh, it's in the back of minds for for some business owners and i know you're based in the states so you, you may on may not have visibility <laughs> on that whole gdrp when that yes. rolled out and that was obviously off, off the back of a lot of things that were happening with Facebook and privacy yes. concerns. And yeah, I don't know if you can just sure touch a little bit on that. Yeah, sure. So GDPR, which is what you're referring to, is the General Data Protection Regulation, which is a data protection regulation in the European Union and some other European countries that basically is a really strong legal protection around how data can be used. It's 250 pages long. I've read the entire regulation, but to boil it down, it's basically saying that you do need to have a privacy policy and that the privacy policy needs to say certain things. So when this law came out, I certainly updated our do-it-yourself privacy policy to make it GDPR compliant. And the idea is that people have a right to how you use their information. So they have a right to tell you, I don't want you to store my information. My information's incorrect. You need to correct it. You can't just sign people up and add them to your newsletter list. They have to consent overtly by checking a box or, or you have to very clearly state to them that by submitting their name and email, they are going to receive emails from you every week, or you have to just be very clear about how you're communicating with them and how their data is going to be used to protect them. So there's some things that shifted to make the language much more uh, privacy-focused and put more of the burden on the business owner to honor the privacy rights of the website visitor or the client. I think the world is moving this direction. Like I said before, Australia and Canada and the UK, you all have 
greater privacy protection already in place, but the GDPR had been happening for several years prior to the Facebook situation. But now I think the U.S. will slowly, slowly come on board, hopefully, and honor privacy the way that you all do, which I personally think is the right way to do it. So Yeah, perfect. That's good. It's definitely an area when it happened because it felt almost like this deadline and if you didn't act by a certain date that, you know, the whole yeah. of Europe was going to chase after you. So it kind of put a lot of fear in a lot of business owners. And at the same time, very rarely do we have a law that that's in, that encompassing that affects business owners all over the world. And it does give the small, give the website visitor the right to report a business. So certainly those laws were intended to protect people from the large businesses who have data breaches everywhere and sell data, et cetera. But, you know, again, a lot of, a lot of the purpose of law is to help you be in alignment energetically and to help you do the right thing energetically. Because when we're more in alignment, we just show up differently. Like we said, we're not worried and we're not being schemy and you're not trying to do things out of integrity. It's about being in integrity and showing up to really stand behind your business so that people believe you and trust you. Because in our online space in particular, that's what we have. We are the brand. We don't have huge brands behind us or huge companies and huge businesses. You are your brand. So the more that people can build that trust and respect and know that you honor them, the more that they will choose to work with you and, and know that you will take care of them. And that's ultimately, I believe, the goal for every business owner. Yeah, 100%. Let's shift to step number five now. Step five. Yes. Okay, step five is what I call terms of use. This is also sometimes called service terms, terms of service, but this is actually for people who are your paid customers, okay? Remember back in step two, we talked about the client agreement that you both sign for one-on-one -on -one work. This is the document that you use when you're going one-to-many, right? So if you have a group program, an online course, or you sell a product through your website, a digital product, a physical product, you sell anything through your website where people are going to your shopping cart and they're entering their name and information and credit card information, and then there's a place where you want them to check the box and agree to your terms. So this is a one-sided legal document, essentially. It's one-sided terms that are sales terms that tell people the rules of the game when they're purchasing your product. Again, a physical product or a informational product, group program, online program, anything but one-on-one, -on -one, essentially. And these are terms that say to people, hey, everything in this beautiful digital program you're receiving is my content. You can't take it and steal it and use it. It has language around the online commerce transaction. It has your refund policy. It has lots of legal disclaimers and lots of limitations of liability to help people understand where your liability ends as a business owner and where theirs begins as a purchaser, right? So you could be sharing an informational product, but it's still up to them. It's their responsibility how they use the information in their business. You can't always be responsible for the results and you shouldn't be held responsible for the results and you shouldn't hold yourself responsible for the results because all you can do is your part. They have to do their part. So this is a really important document that that you want to make sure people are agreeing to your terms when they are purchasing something so that you have written refund policies and written policies to fall back on if someone complains or has a concern or comes after you or sues you in some way for your product. 
This is one to many, and I align it with the throat chakra with my hand gesture here because your throat chakra is aligned with communication and sharing your message and spreading your message farther and wider. And so, of course, that makes sense when you're going one to many and reaching many people. You are communicating in a broader way, and you need to have really strong sales terms to help you as a business owner when you're selling those products. That's why I align it with the throat chakra. When I think of terms of service, I remember in Australia, just going back a good number of years when they first started doing unlimited internet because um, up until then it was all sort of by the meg download and, and in the term of, of service, you know, they'd advertise as unlimited, but then they'd include a, a fair use policy. So it was almost like it's unlimited unless we think you're using too much. And then- How interesting. <laughs> How interesting. <laughs> this, that's interesting. So this document is different than the one we talked about in the four, when we talked about the website document, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's really quite fascinating. This is the one where people are paying for services. So I find it interesting that they would say you're using too much of our thing that I'll, you just purchased. But sometimes I guess they they do. But they need to spell that out in their terms of what is the proper use and what is too much use, so that you know as a consumer. Because otherwise, how would the consumer know when they're they're crossing that boundary. They wouldn't have any idea. I used to chuckle because I thought, you do realize you're advertising this as unlimited, right? Right, exactly. That doesn't make any (laughs) sense. Unlimited as long as there's a limit for them. (laughs) Exactly. And then we move to step number six. Step six. Okay, step six, I align with the third eye chakra. This is a little play on words, but I always say you always know when it's time to go pro because at this point, if you look at the business that you've built, whether you are focused only on one-on-one services or whether you have expanded and done group programs or online courses or products or you're really reaching many people, regardless, look at this business that you've built. You have this booming website. You have huge products and services that you're offering now. You're probably making a lot of income. And so now you have more to protect. So this is the point where you would create a corporate entity. And we do call them different names in different countries. Um, In some countries, it's like a registered corporation like you talked about, Dave. In the U.S., we call them limited liability companies or S corporations or C corporations. In Canada, they're called limited corporations. But this is when you're actually forming a corporate entity. Why would you want to do that? Because what happens is when you form the corporate entity, it separates your liability from the company and you personally. So if you are sued in your personal life, theoretically, under most circumstances, they can't come and get your corporate assets. They can't get your corporate business accounts, your accounts receivable. That's protected and vice versa. If you are not paying your bills or something happens in your company or you're sued in your company, they can't go get your house and your car and your insurance and your savings account and your personal information. So it limits the liability by separating you from the corporate entity. At this point, this stage also, you do often have a lot more credibility when you have LLC after your name or, or LC after your name or PC after your name or whatever the case may be, corp or incorporated. It does add a level of sophistication to the business. And each of these business entities have requirements that are local. So you want to make sure you work with an attorney in your state and province and country who understands the work that you do to create the right entity for you because there are certain professions that have to do certain types of entities and it there are rules and regulations around how that works but know that this corporate entity is designed to really protect your assets and protect your income as you are getting bigger and getting even more professional and larger and you have more income to protect yeah and i think one point to note on that it's it's and you can correct me if i'm wrong the way that that liability works is as long as the business owner is operating with 
the best of intentions and, you know, yeah. you've not traded past insolvency or, you know, that's, right. that, that's where that protection is. So basically, if you're following yeah. the rules, you will be protected. Yes, good point, Dave. It's quite interesting, actually, how the laws of most of our countries have evolved to say, if you are acting within the scope of your business activity, the scope of your professional expertise, and you are operating for a business purpose, right? You're not, it's not Saturday afternoon and you're out with your friends. This is you're doing an errand for work, let's say, in the corporate car or in your own car, but it's for work. If something happens, if you are acting or you make a business decision, you, would, you purchase supplies from a company and they don't follow through and now you're out money because you don't have these supplies that you needed to produce your product, what happens is that if you act in the best interest of your company and you are acting certainly within the scope of your corporate expertise and requirements, then you aren't held at fault for that business decision. The times when you are held at fault, as you mentioned, are things like if you certainly have embezzled money from your company, which we hope you haven't, if you do commit a crime, if you steal, if you engage in activities that are against the best interest of the company or in your own selfish interest, then you could be held liable. But ordinarily, a bad business decision, so long as it's made in good faith, we say, and with the best interest of the company in mind, if it ends up being a bad decision, you aren't personally liable. In other words, you aren't sacrificing your house or your car or your savings account because you made a bad business decision. It is a protection in that regard as well. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And then that leads us to the final step in the process. That's right, the final step, the seventh chakra, which is up here right above your head, and that is the crown chakra. So I also, tongue-in-cheek, like to say that it's a crowning achievement when you actually have a trademark for your brand. And what's interesting about trademarking is that in each of our countries, trademark is done at the country level, except the EU is done together. And the reason for that is because you're protecting your brand identity in your country to avoid brand confusion with another brand that might be in the marketplace. You don't want consumers to get, they don't want consumers to get confused over two brands with the same or substantially similar names. So even if they aren't exact, they still are trying to protect your brand identity. So you register a trademark, you apply with your country to register a trademark at the, in the federal government level to be able to receive protection, to be the presumed rightful owner of the name. So that if someone else out there is using your name, you're presumed to be the correct owner and they have to prove that they're the rightful owner if you get into a conflict. So trademark protections can vary in the U.S. They last for 10 years and you can renew them for 10 years and renew them for 10 years and renew them for 10 years. You do want to have a lawyer help you with a trademark. I highly, highly, highly recommend that you have a lawyer help you with a trademark because the process can seem fairly simple, but it's, it's a really nuanced area of the law. I know I've helped entrepreneurs get 70 registered trademarks and I even work with a trademark attorney who's been a trademark attorney for 25 years and that's all they do all day because even for me as a lawyer who's successfully done 70 trademarks it still has some nuances that I even need help with so I just encourage people to get support for that the reason for that is that the application that you complete you have to designate trademark classes and trademark descriptions and you want to make sure that you're being specific enough 
so that someone else can't slide in behind you into that same trademark designated class and have their trademark pass through. So it is just an area where it really is a beautiful crowning achievement to be able to put that symbol after your brand showing that you own and you've claimed your brand as your own and then you have rights, additional rights that go with having a registered trademark. Yeah, I think uh, obviously next to legal coach, that's something that you've registered and <laughs> it's almost like there are a couple of stages. It'd be good if you could explain it. Oh, um, sure. like Copyright is almost like basic level, hey, this is my work and then you're going to move into TM, the trademark, which I believe is when a, a trademark is, is almost pending and you're kind of saying this is a trademark before it gets registered. I don't know if I got that correct or not. Yeah, but it'd sure. Be, Good to kind of I can happy to talk to you about that. So copyright, as you were just saying, Dave, is copyright is an area of the law that actually protects original creative work. So if you do create, if you write a book or you write a poem or you write a music or you create a movie or even a video or software even or a screenplay, something that's an original creative work, I usually say that it's longer in general just to kind of help people differentiate. You can file with the, the U.S. Copyright Office or your country's Copyright Office to receive protection as you being the original author of that work. And if you receive a copyright in the U.S., I don't know what it is for every country, but in the U.S., it's for 70 years plus the life of the author. And it's to show that this is your unique creative work. It, copyrights are only granted when the content is fixed, which means that it's not revised. So entrepreneurs will say, well, should I copyright my website? And I say, yes. And usually we entrepreneurs go in and change our websites every other minute. So unfortunately, after you file the copyright, it's pretty much for, you can fix a typo, but it's for fixed content. So if you're always updating your website, you would need to amend or add to or do derivative works of the original copyright. So websites aren't a great thing necessarily to copyright. But if you have a program guide or a book or something that you Marketing materials I've even copyrighted for clients, marketing brochures, things like that, that you aren't going to change, that's a great thing to copyright. So it's really to protect original content. Trademarking has two phases that we talked about. First is if you are claiming a brand, if you've designated something as a brand and you want to basically put your flag in the ground and say, I have created this, that's when you can use the little TM which means, I always say, it's like when you climb to the top of the mountain and you put your flag on the top of the mountain, you don't own the mountain, right? But you're saying, I'm claiming this as mine, and you're putting the world on notice that you wish to trademark it or to have it be registered as a trademark. But the next step is actually the full trademark application process, where usually you start with a trademark search done by a lawyer to make sure there aren't any conflicts with existing trademarks, you're not violating someone else's trademark, and you check to make sure that your application really probably would go through if you granted it, because trademarks are an investment. And then you file the application, which can take quite a while to be passed. It can be 10 to 18 months in the US. I'm sure it's very similar in other countries, sometimes a little faster, but it's just a long review process. And that's when it's granted, you get the R with the circle around it, which means registered trademark. So copyright protects original work and trademark protects short things like logos, brand names, taglines, program names, 
product names. I like to think of it as like short, small things that are your brand. It must be for marketing. You must sell goods and services. You can't trademark names for hobbies. It must be something for sale. Whereas original works, it doesn't matter if you're selling it or just keeping it for yourself. You can copyright anything that you've created that's an original work. Yeah, perfect. It really helps to clarify. And I think, yeah, just going through the seven steps, someone would begin to feel more comfortable. We'll put the summary, like the team watch this and we, we create a little SOP that can go along with the session so people can walk themselves through the steps. But no doubt they're going to have more questions and going to want to find out more. Where's the best place for them to find out about your work? Sure. They are certainly welcome to visit my website at lisafraley.com. And they're also welcome to email us at clientlove at lisafraley.com and welcome to set up a free 20-minute legal chat. If you have questions, my team and I are certainly happy to try to help. And I do have a Legally Enlightened podcast where you can listen to free podcast episodes, 20 minutes or less about legal tips to help you in your business. Perfect. Well, a big thank you, Lisa, for your time being very generous and, and breaking down those steps. I will put all the links underneath a session here so people can find out more and definitely check out a copy of your book too. So thanks again. Mm. Thank you so much, Dave. Thank you for having me. You've just been listening to the System Hub Podcast. Remember, we've documented this system for you so you can literally swipe and deploy it within your business. Head to www.systemhub.com forward slash podcast to download it now.